Hello and welcome to the Spitters Podcast. My name is Riley and each week we listen to three random 45 RPM vinyls my best friend Nils bought off of eBay. That's right. That's the premise. Good job. I recently got back from a, a solo odyssey into Los Angeles, which is the the music city, I feel like. And the I, music I, city. It took the magic away from it all in some ways and also made it more magical in other ways. What do you think about Los Angeles? <laughs> I haven't actually spent much time in Los Angeles itself. I don't love cities, and Los Angeles is definitely a city um and there's just a lot of chaos that i haven't i haven't felt like i've had the bandwidth to embrace the chaos of la like some people do but i'm curious like what was the most striking experience for you when you were in la it was just so apocalyptic like i liked that there was kind of like everyone knows about la like before i went there people were telling me things that were supposedly common knowledge that i did not know like, they're like, oh, yeah, the grapevine, the grapevine. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I learned that it's like a long stretch of land where all the cars break down because they didn't get enough gas before they went. And then I drove there and like, yeah, that's true. Like, there are cars all over the place just laying on the side of the road. And that's like so intense that's to be the terrifying. entry. To L- and that's such a great symbolism for like the process of trying to get famous, you know, like, yeah, some of them make it there, but a lot of them just burn out on the side of the road. But while I was driving around, there was like a car that drove past me and was just like waving at me and blowing kisses at me. And it totally reminded me of like the music documentaries I had watched about Laurel Canyon in the 60s, where it's just like people driving around. It's like all these young people excited and, and like in love with each other. In some ways that does still exist in really tiny examples. So it, it did feel like the cliches in some unique ways that I actually really enjoy. So you're glad that you experienced the cliches? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, the music industry is so romanticized in all of the research I've done. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of had skepticism towards that. But then I went there and like I was like intentionally, obviously, soundtracking my experience to match what I had learned. Like I would play the music that was written in the different places that I went to. I understood what all the hype was about. Like the hills literally resonate with music like that it i felt that you know in a weird way because there's cars passing that are playing music and stuff like that and you're playing your own music and if you're playing the outside it's like in the open air and that gives this sense that like this location is musical inherently and i haven't really experienced that before do you think that's because you were expecting it to happen or because there's actually something innate to that space both but like there was something more than just me, I guess. The circumstances that made LA so special in the 60s was like an alignment of a lot of different things. And when I was thinking about that alignment and like what it would have been like to be there, it's like, oh my God, yeah, that's that would totally be magical. Like if I was experiencing this as well as being surrounded by some of the greatest artists mm-hmm. <laughs> alive, like, yeah, that would be a spiritual thing. Like I totally understand how people would flock here and like worship at their feet. <laughs> like it is religious I to me. And I only had a part of it. I didn't actually have the living musician. Though apparently the house across from the house that I was staying in belonged to Eddie Van Halen until he died. What what band was he in again? Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that one. Do you want to spend more time in LA now? I wish I had spent more time past tense, but I don't want to go back. <laughs> okay. I agree about cities. But like, what are we supposed to do? Because I don't know what young adults how they could even live in the suburbs because like no one can afford anything so cities are the cheapest places usually 
So we don't really have a choice aside from living in a city. I think that there's a middle ground that you and I are not necessarily exposed to. I feel like LA, to me, feels like a city of desperation. <laughs> and people trying to achieve their dreams and mostly failing. Like every single waiter or waitress that you see is someone who is trying to be an actor. It's not going well for them right now. A lot of people might see it as like a city of potential and like that's exciting. Uh, I think that I kind of see it as a city of failure. I totally agree with you. And the worst part is like some of the biggest names were still failing, like even pretty late into their career. Like Billy Joel's first like three albums were like total commercial flops. And now in hindsight, we're like, oh yeah, that was awesome. Those are like some of the best albums ever. And it's like, but he, most of his early career, he was not making any money at all. So even when he was releasing his best work, he wasn't getting to live that lifestyle. So what's the result here? Like that's what people want? Best case scenario, you're releasing your best work and you're still not, like you don't have control over how you're perceived. I mean, yeah, best case scenario is like you're releasing your best work and people are like loving you and then you're gonna be corrupted by that. As a celebrity, you're gonna acquire a certain amount of attention that no one was ever supposed to get. And how you handle that, you know, it can go different ways and maybe people can handle it well, but no matter what, that's gonna corrupt you in some way. And to know that you have massive influence over masses, like that's insane. And it's not a kind of pressure that we're supposed to have. And then you put them all in one location, <laughs> which exactly. makes it even worse. Like they all congregate. And then it's just so, like it's powerful, but it's also so dangerous as we see every single time. How many people that are failing over and over and over again think of themselves as like the Billy Joel? That, you know, they're like, I'm creating amazing work. People just don't realize it yet, but I'm going to like be revered soon. Like it's coming, I'm about to be revered. Yeah, well, no, people aren't even revered the way that Billy Joel was anymore. Like, I don't even know what these people are grinding towards. It's just like, we're gonna become the most bland, rock band and then we're just gonna live in that forever and that'll be our stable source of income and it's like that's your dream <laughs> like that's really best case scenario for these up-and-coming indie bands i feel like i think that a lot of them start out not feeling like they want to be bland but then they're pushed into that yeah music's a product and i am a fool for thinking otherwise that's what i <laughs> that's what i'm learning the more i just research things and also just like like more bands it's just like, this is not about creativity. And when we get creativity, it's exciting, but it's second to this being a product, you know? But how often does it start as a creative endeavor and then it turns into a business endeavor? Like, I feel like that probably happens more often than, right. like, you know, definitely more often than the other way. I was talking to a guy who like was a former punk in the seventies and he like lived in abandoned buildings and he was like really into punk rock and like lived that lifestyle mm -hmm. and i was asking him all As these questions does. about like how he felt <laughs> like how he felt about normies at the time and all of that and like the different styles of music and he's like i used to always bully these cheerleaders for wearing costumes and then i realized i was wearing a costume too it was just a different kind <laughs> and i think that's such a profound statement about music like yeah you're right it's all performative and some of it might feel more authentic to you, but you're still making a costume to 
to like it you know like it is it will always be a costume and mm-hmm. that's that's a service in some ways and it's a disservice in others because it is still a reach in some ways it's still an embellishment of what you are to reach it and right. on that note i think we should listen to some music all right our first song for today is it happens to be me by nat king cole we've had a lot nat of nat king, king cole, cole recently third time third time third time for you and your caress he's learning now how empty arms can be someone who used to know your kiss not long ago that someone happens to be me how he misses you and must confess Without you, he's like driftwood on the sea. He's just a dreamer who is still in love with you. That dreamer happens to be me. I'll never know just why we parted. It's more than I can comprehend. I only know when you departed, you started a night that has no end. Perhaps there'll come a time when you're alone, your heart's still haunted by a memory. If then you chance to find There's someone on your mind I hope it happens to be me When you're alone Your heart's still haunted by a memory If then you chance to find There's someone on your mind I hope it happens to be me I hope it happens to be I feel like that was more like the first Nat King Cole record we had than the second one. Yeah, I have to agree. I I wanted it to be like really cool and inspiring and all that, but it was a, a, a breakup song, a longing for someone who has slipped through your fingers. Sad thing for a song to be about. You know, it's happened before. <laughs> 
Driftwood on the ocean is a good line. I liked that line. Yeah, I was not moved by any other line in the song, but that one felt at least a little bit vivid. <laughs> yeah, Driftwood on the sea. I mean, cool line. I like it. It's vivid, but there's not much more to like pull out of it. It's like, okay, you're lonely and lost. Got it. Great. <laughs> and now what? I think the most unique thing about this song by far is the whole gimmick of the song is that it happens to be me, where he keeps on talking about this person in the third person, saying that it only happens to be him. Does that have any significance, any kind of bearing? Is is that a different way of coping with loss, or is it just a gimmicky way of pretending this song is different from all others? Initially, I thought it was the gimmicky thing, but when you pointed that out, that's actually a really cool idea. Like, that kind of speaks to the cosmic randomness of everything. Like, obviously you were going to break someone's heart, because that's how all relationships end, and in the way that the universe played out, I was the one who ended up getting my heart broken. Right. And that's, like, a cool idea. And also, I guess it plays in multiple scenarios. Like, that one phrase... If you love someone again, I hope it happens to be me. That's kind of interesting. Someone's gonna pop in to your mind and like, what if it's me? And it's just such a, it definitely is a, a nod to cosmic randomness. He's playing with chance. That's cool. Hope in the face of cosmic randomness. That's way too cool for this song. <laughs> you think it's we're true, pulling too much the, out of it? I mean, maybe that's what he was going for, but like, they could have done a better job exp explaining it. Oh, maybe we're, we're putting too much strain on the song. I did some calculations while we were listening. Elvis Presley is our most listened to artist on the show. I believe we've had him four times. Okay, if we look at like the part where he's talking about, you know, I hope it happens to be me. It says, perhaps there'll come a time when you're alone, your heart's still haunted by a memory. If then you chance to find there's someone on your mind i hope it happens to be me like it's it's far too many words that are talking about chance to be a coincidence it's like a roulette wheel or something of like every past lover you've had <laughs> and it randomly spins at 2 a.m and then it'll land on one of them and it's like okay now we're gonna worry about this guy like <laughs> and he's hoping like i hope your brain chemistry works in my favor and when you have that one weird late night where you're thinking about your past i hope i'm the one that pops up like yeah and i hope that i'll still have a chance then that's a really good read on it actually perhaps they'll come with like every time he says perhaps and if it's like another layer of like unlikeliness you know right like this has to happen and then this has to happen and then this has to happen and then maybe i'll get another chance like Which, he's doing all these mental gymnastics and it sounds absurd right and he keeps on yeah adding layers to like almost try to not get his own hopes up but at the same time just as many if not far more cosmic random things happened for them to get together in the first place. So maybe it's not that insane. And I think there is a lot, I mean, obviously there's a logic to who you think about. It's like how important they are to you, you know? So it's more likely that she'll think about you if you had a good history. I really like this idea of like, you meet people in your life and then you just like hold on to them and take them with you forward. <laughs> like you can meet people in the most random circumstances and then all of a sudden they become important to you and you'll, you can go anywhere with them, you know? Mm -hmm. You can bump into someone on the street and then get to know them so well that you're comfortable with them coming to your house. 
and at one point they were strangers and now they're just a friend and that title makes all the difference and I think this song kind of dances around that kind of thing with what it means to be a lover and an ex-lover too. You started as strangers and I like yeah you're strangers again but that doesn't mean that after you're strangers again because something went wrong with the relationship and the relationship ended it doesn't mean that after some time and after some growth you can't become friends again. I don't believe you can be strangers again. There's this one quote that I've been dying to put on this podcast and just to tell you for so long, mm-hmm. and that's, some doors don't close anymore once you've opened up your heart. <laughs> and that just, like, haunts me at every waking moment, because I feel like that's how this how life works, is, like, you continually break through to these new locations, and once you're in the new location, you can't go back to where you were before. So when you're in a relationship, you're treading ground constantly. Like, you are constantly making progress on some weird cosmic treadmill. And sure, your relationship might end, but you're not going to go back to where you were at the beginning of the relationship. Everything that happened in that is now in you. (laughs) And you might be alone the same way that you were alone before, but, like, your heart has been impacted. (laughs) And I that's so important for you and I now, because we're going on our own life adventures. And it's like we have made lots of irreversible progress for good and for bad on ourselves and we're gonna be have to be dealing with those consequences because you can't close those doors anymore i don't know like is it is it good in some ways is it good that we've made irreversible progress does that mean that we're doing better does it mean that if if any progress that we made if any experience that we had could end up meaning nothing then does that make it mean less from the beginning and does it mean a lot more if from the beginning you know that it can never mean nothing wow (laughs) well I, i think it's definitely a good thing i think it's what being alive is i think being alive is like making progress in one direction or another the doors of of your perception start out closed because we're children and you don't see things and then all of a sudden you have experiences that start to open your doors of perception because you can now recognize patterns and recognize yourself and all of that stuff and now you have information that you can use and then that door starts to open and it's like yes this is awesome because your brain is getting smarter and you're becoming a developed human but on the other hand you're also losing that innocence and that safety that happens when your doors are closed because once they're open it's like you it's awesome that you've been you've gotten this far but also it's kind of frightening because it's like well I wanted that safety like I want to live in that realm now where where I can't go back anymore. All right, so that was heavy. <laughs> Are you ready for our next song? Yes, I hope this is that nice groovy drum one, but I'm not supposed to know what they sound like, so I didn't say that. Wait, so do you know what it sounds like? Do you know what it's called? <laughs> no, I don't. You... I just vaguely recognized it. Wait, you, and maybe you that was Sorry, wrong. can you say that again? Do you know what it's called? I, I do not. No, no, no. Full sentence. Do you know what it's called? I do not know what this next song is called. All right, use a use a contraction in there. Which what? Wait, wait. I don't. I don't know what this song is. I called. don't know is our next song by Celine Dion. A mountain of stars. Stand in my way, I go on, brutal machine. 
What do you think of that production style? See, at first, like I was really, really digging the drums, but 
I'm afraid it lost me just a little bit. Like, I don't know. I See, I don't know. Like, I, I'm curious for you what sets this apart from the last 80s power ballad thing that we had. Yeah, I feel like the songwriting, like the composition in this was very much more intentional than the last power ballad. This one built in a way. I do agree that when it got to the chorus, it kind of lost that tasteful tastefulness. Like the beginning, like, oh my god, that drum machine. That's I love so drum good. machine. That drum machine is wonderful. It was minimalist. That's the thing. It, w it was reserved. It was like held back. And then when it got to the chorus, it kind of let itself go, in my opinion, and lost that eeriness. Which that, And the eeriness works so well with these lyrics, like, brutal yeah. machines, unbending laws, oh, can't slow that. me down. That's love so that. cool. So, I mean, I'm also interested in your take on these lyrics, because this is one of those codependency songs we were talking about. But I feel like this one is a lot more earned and kind of goes into that dark place that is only hinted at. Like, this is a very heavy song lyrically and at some points musically even though it loses that by the way before we get into it this was actually released in the mid 90s 96 that's weird it feels and a lot more 80s <laughs> than that i mean the cover looks the album the cover is so wrong to me like when i listen to the song i think of such dark imagery and then it's like the most white album cover and she's like smiling it's a white background a white top where she almost like blends into the background and yeah she's just smiling Which I like that just not for this song i wonder what the rest of these tracks are like well you make me feel like a natural woman is the only one that i know well i don't know i think that the rest of it is probably a lot more happy so i think that it makes a lot more sense for the other songs yeah Brutal machines, unbending laws. Like, what a cool fucking line. And then, can't slow me down, I'd go on. Okay, like, like you Bowie. had a cool like, setup, like but then David I feel Bowie like... Song. I don't know, I feel like it had a great setup with brutal machines, unbending laws, and then, can't slow me down, I'd go on. Well, I like this one because it's like, it really ties into what we were talking about. She talks about self-assurance and that she doesn't... She's learned to deal with some parts of life. Yeah. She's been beaten up enough that she has resilience. But then she gets to this like truly existential mystery of like what am I if I lose you? Like what will I be? And that is a really great question sometimes, especially in like the longer relationships. And I think the music reflects that ambiguity. And to just be repeating, I don't know. It's like yeah. ego death or something. Like the stakes are so high here <laughs> if this doesn't go right which I, I rarely feel with our songs. Usually I'm pretty out of touch with the relationships. I'm like, okay, whatever, this is goofy. But this one, it's like, this. if this goes wrong, I could imagine her going into like a really dark place. The I don't know over and over again is haunting. That's a, it's a scary thing. It seems like, yeah, maybe she actually is like spiraling. You know, she's so assured in so many things, but like, you know, that's that's the whole point of the song. It's the whole point of the first verse is that she's so sure in so much, but then she just doesn't know this one thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary, but I also feel like we don't get too much more from that, you know? I wish verse two took it in a different direction because it kind of just keeps going with that imagery they already established with like more examples of things that can fight her. And it's like, yeah, we know. Like, unbending laws, that's... a brilliant line you've established all you need to establish about the enemy now you got to get more into the context of the situation you know but 
I think it's a testament to like psychological pain as opposed to physical pain, which is an interesting thing that I wish got explored more. Because the idea of in life, you're really only taught to be resilient against very specific circumstances. And then there are these things that will completely blindside you because we haven't learned how to deal with them yet. And that's usually emotional or psychological stuff, partly because we don't understand the brain. That is only briefly mentioned here and kind of more implied. I don't know. I mean, what? Is this a pop song? I don't know. I can't imagine this being on like a, like the lead single, like pop radio. It's not a ballad. It's like really it's a statement part of it's a statement but i don't know it then it then it loses that i'm realizing how much we say i don't know now it's just i feel like it's too much of a statement to be one of the other celine dion pop songs yeah but it's not enough of a statement to be like a david bowie masterwork about existential identity loss you know yeah but i, I give it credit for even approaching that territory because that's not what i would normally expect there's this thing that's been eating away at me recently because someone asked about my high school band and I was thinking about the high school band again. And I realized like if I just added drum machines to my songs, like <laughs> I think it would have like done so much to make it seem more legit. And now I'm just beating myself up because it's so easy now with GarageBand. And the drums in this song prove that it, it can be such a great atmosphere building thing. It, it adds another level of sophistication to whatever's going on. Do it, Riley. Yeah, I, I thought about it. Doesn't that feel kind of wrong, though? It's up to you. I mean, you're the person who, like, really created it all. I wonder if they thought about writing this song differently than the other codependency songs we listen to, or if it accidentally touches on all these cool things that we like about it. Because the fact that it doesn't go full-fledged with it makes me think that it might have just been an accident. And I don't know. But Drum Machine in 96, like this is trying to be an 80s song, which is a pretty intense choice. When was Celine Dion popular though? Like, is that just what she knew? <laughs> yeah, that is kind of her thing. So maybe she is a 90s artist and she just kind of has the 80s pastiche going on. I had this other moment, this is kind of off topic, but I heard an Adele song, and I think I finally understand Adele now. Like, <laughs> I, I was looking at it from the wrong angle. The idea of adult contemporary as being a genre, I didn't know what that meant. But when I heard the Adele song, I'm like, this is adult contemporary. This is adult music. This is sophisticated music. This would play at like a dinner party, and it would up the sophistication of the party. And that's a thing that I had been overlooking for so long. And I think I finally understand it now. What and makes it for adults? And also, what song was it? It was Love Song, which is a cover of a Cure song, which is a really tight call by Adele to cover that, because that's a weird idea. But it was not immediately interesting. It's like really slow burn, and the production is so cold, but in like such an intentional way. It's not... The instruments are not the exciting part. The exciting part is 100% her voice, which I think is usually the case with Adele. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of a sophisticated idea because the things that I listen to are more rudimentary and aren't as smooth and well-produced as that. And the production works so well in her favor. And if it played at a cocktail party, it made me feel like I was at a cocktail party and I was just watching an Adele YouTube video. And that put me in the headspace of like, this is designed for a certain context and I understand it now. 
So are you a big Adele fan now? Uh, well, if I had a cocktail party, I feel like <laughs> it would be wrong to listen to it in another way. But maybe we should have a sophisticated party and test it, test it out, listen to the whole album. Yeah, we could definitely pull off a sophisticated party. Who's your favorite artist that we've had recently? That's right, it's Michael Bolton. Oh no, don't do this. Right. No way. There's no way. Are you ready for another Michael Bolton song? There's no way, there's no way. Oh, I guess I have to be because we don't have another choice. That is true. <sighs> I was gonna bring him up as another example of adult contemporary because he, he makes music for cocktail parties as well. And maybe if I go into it with that attitude, I'll be more positive. Don't bet on it. All right, if this is just based on the title, I don't think it's gonna be very different from the last Michael Bolton song we had, which was This Is What Love Is All About. Um, which I enjoyed, you thought was <laughs> oh, a totally <laughs> ridiculous power ballad. Even the title is so funny. It sounded like you were making it up. Like if I had to make up a Michael Bolton title, it'd be like, this yeah, this is, is what, what love is all about. Is all about. <laughs> okay, all well, about. this is definitely another Michael Bolton title for you. It's only my heart.
he's like, okay, so for this song, he's gonna say he doesn't care, but actually he does. But he's not gonna say that. You're just gonna figure it out by how he's saying it over and over again. And there's nothing else to it. It's like, it's been done so many times in so many ways. Even on this show, like I can yeah. think of like at least four other examples of songs. The main one was like, It's Only Love by BJ Thomas, which I think we both loved. It's yeah. the same idea. Only my heart, it's only love. Like it's trying to downplay the idea of how much this affects you. But the other one just felt so much more triumphant and interesting. This was like... Tasteful production, yeah. Yeah, yeah t- tastefulness is so important. Because, like, it, I believe a tasteful enough production palette can outweigh kind of groaner lyrics. But you have to put in the work. I did genuinely like the last one that we had from Michael Bolton, but this one uh, <laughs> was not good. <laughs> the, the thing that I think is really funny is a lot of music that came out in the 80s immediately felt dated to me. I wasn't even there, so I can't claim. <laughs> A lot of that kind of like really stiff production stuff felt like it was written for old people. And if people who are adults like it now and they liked it when they were kids, how does that work? Like why were kids attracted to that? Did kids like Michael Bolton when he came out? Was he immediately for adults? And then you grow into him and like him when you're older? Does that happen? I don't know. It does feel weird to think of someone like discovering Michael Bolton being like, oh my god, I found this old artist. That I've been so listening good. to a lot of Michael Bolton recently. <laughs> like on Spotify Wrapped, do people actually have Michael Bolton as their top artist? Yeah, but like do old people use Spotify? That's actually, that's a real question. Do old people use Spotify? I think older people like people that we consider old who are actually like in their 50s and 60s use it but i would say 70 plus i don't think so there's a cutoff there one of the things that terrifies me most about the internet is that like at one point there will be more dead facebook users than alive ones you know if we continue at this rate (laughs) music is such a personal thing too so if you found someone who passed away it's playlist i have a feeling we like the first two better than Michael Bolton. I think you, that I have to agree. I, oh my god. There's nothing to say about Michael Bolton's. There's just nothing there. He didn't give us anything. The other ones were very interesting to talk about. So, Michael Bolton, you're going in the trash or whatever we do with the vinyls that we don't keep. I am interested in this Celine Dion one and I actually have, I, I might listen to this album later because I want to know what the rest of it is like and if the album cover actually fits the sound. My guess is it's not like the rest of it, but you'll see. I like that we don't usually address the listeners for most of the middle part of the podcast, but we do at the beginning and then that's kind of funny. What listeners? <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, you're here. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> I forgot that they're that they're listening. See, I think that we have the best conversations. Well, I mean, I don't know. This is a whole conversation in itself. But I think that we have the best conversations when it's just us having a conversation, and then people can listen in on those conversations. But then, am I just thinking that because I like our conversations because we have our conversations because I have the conversations and I think that I'm going in a loop and it's time to close it out. Thank you everyone for listening and remember keep spinning. spinning.